Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hey, happy Friday. And uh, sometimes Fridays just don't feel like Fridays. You know, sometimes they feel like Mondays. And sometimes Mondays feel like Fridays. But you know what's great? Your dog loves you every single day, as long as you're good to him. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the great things we can do to help our dogs to be happy every day. One of those things I've been harping on and droning into your brains for a long time is separation anxiety. How many of you will say, well, my dog is behaving blah, blah, blah on weekdays, but he doesn't do that on weekends. Or if I'm home all day for six months or a year because of COVID, and then I go out, my dog is like destroying the walls and he's, you know, we have a camera on him and he just is drooling and panting and destructive. I told you all in February and March of 2020 on this very show that that was going to happen. And some people said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. COVID's going to be over quickly. My dog isn't going to do that. But you weren't right, were you? That would make you, uh-huh, wrong. We have to think about dogs as dogs. Don't think about them as little fur-covered humans. Not when you're not giving them what they need as dogs. Listen, nobody spoils their dogs worse. I mean, nobody spoils their dogs worse than I do. I buy them, well, what did I just buy in the last one? I bought them 24, these special rawhides. They're like the cheek rolls that you cannot, that like these dogs cannot choke on them. It's totally different process. They're pretty expensive. I bought 24, and I think I bought eight cases, 10 cases, just so that I would make sure I had enough for everybody. And I bought them, you know, custom-made things and custom foods and all these different toys and all kinds of stuff, nothing made in, you know, outside the U.S. except for some of the stuff like bully sticks and all that, which is made in New Zealand, uh, or not made, but but harvested in New Zealand. But the reason I do that is because my dogs are so good. They're trying to bark right now. The Romeo's trying to say, hey. You know, with with my new guy, Hank, who's a rescue boy, he's very sweet, and he's going to be one of our service dogs someday if he keeps up as he's been doing. But, you know, I love my dogs, but I get so tired of it. I mean, this weekend I was slammed last weekend. I was slammed with all kinds of dogs biting and separation anxiety and jumping on people, knocking people down like ambushing them, jumping on them from the back, not even from the front, and knocking people down, knocking kids down, biting people, gashing up people. And I look at everybody and I'm like, can I smoke in your house? And they go, if you want to. So why can I smoke in your house? Now, the one family happens to allow smoking, but that's very few and very far between. And I said, but why am I allowed to smoke in your house if you don't allow smoking? Well, but we want you to help our dog. I said, but I shouldn't be allowed to break the rules because the rule is the rule. So I'm allowed to run a stop sign or a red light because I have an emergency? No, you still have to respect others no matter what's going on. Well, this is, to me, the biggest issue where what people are doing is, and I don't know why, they're losing their minds. They're bribing animals and children 
and spouses, they're bribing in order to get what they want instead of just set the rule for what you want, set the boundary for what you expect, and then just just enforce the boundary. So, for instance, when a dog is jumping, and as many dogs do, and a larger dog especially, when this dog is jumping up from a running start and putting its front paws on you, literally decking you, knocking you over with force, like one of my husband's and my patrol canines used to do in the, in the police department for bad guys, why is your dog doing that? And you say, oh, he just started doing that a month ago. Well, just started doing it would be, oh, my God, this is the first time he's ever done that. Not after the dog has done it for a month and you've set and allowed him to set a new pattern behavior. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Don't let one bad moment turn into a lifetime of bad moments. And people do it all the time. If you allow bad behavior, then you encourage bad behavior. There's something, and those of you who have kids that are going to be taking the SAT, if that means anything anymore, it's something called tacit assent, T-A-C-I-T. When you do something tacitly, okay, tacitly means you're allowing it because you're not saying no. You're not telling somebody, oh, well, you can't do that. Therefore, you're allowing it. Now, give, give you an example of that. Your dog jumps on you. And you tell them, oh, no, don't do that, Fluffy. Or you do nothing, or you ignore it, or whatever. You have tacitly told him, that's okay. Some dogs will only do it a little. Some dogs will say, I like jumping on on you and knocking you over. But if you stop it initially, and it may take more than once or twice or three times, but you continue to teach the dog not to do that, it will go away. Everything goes away eventually unless you intensify it or unless you tacitly assent to it. So what I'm going to teach you today is where do you say no and when do you say no? So come up with a list of things. You can read my book, Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101. You guys know the book. You can get it on Amazon. It's like less than $10. I made it cheap because I donate all the money, like I do with all my own money, to my nonprofit. But the interesting thing that I think is kind of critical is to have people understand how to fix whatever behavior it is. So whatever behavior it is, it doesn't matter what behavior But the behavior that you allow, that you tacitly assent to, is going to continue and perhaps even intensify. So come up with a list, the same as you would for anything. Well, some of you guys aren't list makers. I can be, but, you know, kind of, I think, average about that. One of the few things I'm average about. And let's say make a list. What are the things that your dog does we can add to that list? What are the things your husband does or your wife does? Be kind on those, though. And what are the things that this dog does that bother you, that you would like to change? Don't list things like he sheds. You brought a German Shepherd Husky mix into your home. It's going to shed. 
There are vitamin supplements you can use, the NuVet Plus, which is a great one, N-U-V-E-T.com. It's called NuVet Plus Canine Wafers, and you can use the discount code 86686. Again, that's 86686 to get a 15% off discount. But Beyond that, the dog is shedding, the dog is drooling, the dog is panting. Ah, wait, that last one we can help unless it's in the summer and you've got a Newfoundland. So let's talk about specifically what things should be on your list. Well, anything that gets you frazzled, anything that you say, wow, if my dog would stop doing that, I'd either A, love him more, B, take him more places, or C, be much happier. Any of those things, A, B, or C, you should be putting that thing on a list. If it's something like, well, the dog farts, okay. There are things you can do for that, but not necessarily uh, a behavioral thing. That's, uh, that's usually your husband who blames the dog anyway. But the idea being we're talking about things that are behaviors, things that are actions that the dog has some control over. So let's just say the dog is jumping. So why are you getting them all amped up when you walk in the front door? Oh, hi, Fluffy. Oh, my God. Stop jumping now. Stop jumping. But you just amped them up by getting them all excited. Why don't you just walk in your house and ignore them? If he jumps, correct him and walk to the bathroom or walk to the kitchen. Stop encouraging the bad behaviors or kids and husbands. I'm talking to you right here, talking to you. If you are letting the dog up on furniture when your mom doesn't want the dog on the furniture and then the dog's getting in trouble because you are breaking the rules and allowing the dog, confusing the dog, you don't deserve to have a dog, kids. You deserve to have a stuffed animal that is going to do what you do or what you want it to do because it has no choice because it can't move. Okay, so what we want to start doing is on this list, I'm going to give you a really good start point for this. The first thing you want to do is teach the dog personal space. Everything translates back to personal space. How can a dog jump on you? How can a dog bite you? How can a dog mouth you? How can a dog hump you? How can a dog do anything that requires him to touch you or be in your personal space if you taught him that you have personal space that he's not allowed to violate? Best thing in the world was, well, not really, but you'll understand in a moment. Best thing in the world was COVID. I used to tell people, like, be like the Michelin man. Have, you know, uh, an area around you that is like a force field that nobody can get near. But now it's the six-foot COVID rule that most people don't even pay attention to anymore. But it's the six-foot COVID rule that all of a sudden seems to be like, oh, wow. You're closer than six feet. Well, let's make that two or three feet for your dog. So how do we handle that then? Before the dog is jumped on you, when he's running or walking at you and you know he's going to jump, correct him. How can you correct him? One of the things I want you to not do is overcorrect your dog. So you can actually put just literally your dog is coming toward you. He's maybe six feet away. You know he's going to jump. I want you to walk into him. I don't want you to back up. Don't do what the obedience trainers do. Remember obedience through obesity, the honey boo-boo school of obedience training. 
we don't want the dog to be bribed to behave. If you are working with a dog or if you have a dog, and I, I really, really look at things in a different way. And I wrote something to somebody today um, that I'm going to read to you guys before I uh, continue on. It's just to preface what I'm going to say. And I said to her, because she asked me about behaviors, and this happens to be one of the dogs. It was a probably 85 pounds already, eight months old, or almost eight months old. Going to be a big dog. And the dog literally, if I tell you, when we were walking, it wouldn't jump on me. It jumped on the dad, who's good-sized man, average height, you know, well-built. And he was okay, and he just kept going. And his wife, who was a, a bit smaller... Um, you know, average build. And this dog was jumping on her to such a degree that I had to grab the leash and say, uh, enough already. And then the dog paid attention to me and I handed it back to them a few times and we kept going back and forth like this. And she asked me something and she said to me, how do you differentiate what you want the dog to do, like that you want him to come up to you to interact with you versus, you know, what you want him to do, not interacting with you um, and overacting or overreacting. And I answered her, as a behaviorist, it's in my nature to always improve anything I can behaviorally or in general. I've rehabilitated tens of thousands of dogs with behavioral issues through more than 40 years. So I have a very different perspective than does a local dog trainer. So they had just been to a local dog trainer who did a really good job of making the dog sit and stay and lie down, All well, sometimes if it felt like it. So I told her, and I think this is a great way for everybody to understand, think about a personal trainer with humans, how they focus on the actual physical body of someone who may be overweight versus a psychiatrist or psychologist who focuses on the motivational portion and psychological portion of why someone may overeat. So everything I focus on is what the brain does to cause the body to do what it does. So while people think that making a dog sit for a cookie instead of jumping on someone may be actually behavioral, it is not. Training is when you tell something to do something for a reward. Teaching is when you teach a way of life and an understanding of rules and social interaction. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes enormous sense. And the reason it makes sense is because it's true. You cannot fix a behavior. And I know there are a lot of trainers and, you know, I get emails all the time from obedience trainers who follow my rules and they follow my shows and don't have my book and try to make it seem like it's all their idea. And then they still can't do it, right, because you're still trying to bribe the dog with a cookie. Behavior is in the brain, okay? It is not in the body. If a dog bites somebody, what part of the dog bites? And people, everybody, right? The teeth, yep, right, sure, right? The teeth bite, okay, the mouth, yeah, the head, uh, the face, yeah, okay. No, that's not the part that bites. They're like, well, wait a minute, I have teeth marks on my arm. Yes. Because you taught the dog that it was okay. So although the offending body part or appendage 
is the mouth. The mouth was told to bite by the brain. So why are you trying to bribe the body to doing something when, you know, the whole issue here is the dog isn't listening to you because the dog doesn't respect you as being his parent, as being the one who gets to say, hey, you do this, you don't do that. That's where our problem is. We have to be able to think and be able to focus on why a dog does something. So if you allow that dog through tacit assent, you allow that dog to do whatever it is that he's done and you haven't corrected it and continue to correct it until it's gone, you are tacitly assenting to the fact that that is okay. You don't mind. And some people even pet the dog or say, oh, it's okay. You don't have to jump up on grandma. It's okay to jump up on grandma. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to tell them it's okay to jump on grandma. I always tell them it's okay that grandma is okay. But your dog is jumping on grandma. Why weren't you between grandma and the dog? Why aren't you using your body position? Because your body position is what the dog understands in that case. If you tell the dog, no, oh, it's okay, the dog hears it's okay. We all know what it's okay means. It means it's okay. But a dog takes that and interprets it differently than we do. A dog interprets it's okay as being it's okay to continue to do whatever I'm doing now. So if I'm jumping on grandma and you tell me it's okay, that means it's okay to jump on grandma. If I'm smoking in your house and you say it's okay, then I assume that it's okay to smoke in your house. But don't get mad when somebody does something or the dog jumps and you have not corrected it and you're blaming the dog. You taught the dog through tacit assent that it was okay for the dog to do that behavior. When a dog jumps, it is a behavior that is jumped by the body caused by the brain. And if a dog does not understand why, and this is the big key here, why the body is not allowed to do it, then the body's going to keep doing it almost on its own. It gets into a pattern behavior where the dog, he's, it's his MO. He usually does it. He does it and nothing happens and it's okay. So might as well keep doing it. So that's where we have to change the way we're doing things. Now, going back to the comment that I wrote to my client and regarding the patient, uh, 85-pound, uh, almost eight-month-old dog, very, very nice, sweet dog. This dog happens to also be fearful. Now, the dog is not terrified, but I do believe that either it's a wicked fear phase, six to eight months they go through fear impact and flight instinct, that they coincide for those two months, that you have to be really careful to make sure that, you know, you don't have this whole uh, situation where, you know, you have something bad happening because that's where it's the most formative of the months of the dog's life is six to eight months. Doesn't mean that other times aren't important. But typically, the first 14 months from basically four to 14 months, which is a 10-month period, your dog is going in and out of fear, impact, flight, instinct phases. It's just the way it is. If between six and eight months the dog suffers at some kind of crazy moment or something that is not a good thing, for instance, a man with a beard falls and has 
you know, let's say trips and falls and hits the dog or gets, so for what other reason, gets in the dog's face and scares the dog, that dog at six to eight months of age now is going to almost definitely wind up with fear of men, fear of things coming at him, and fear of beards if the man had a beard, hats if the man had a hat. Uh, I had a client who brought me a patient who was truly a wonderful, wonderful dog, um, but her husband had knocked over a big shelf unit, and it was just, you know, lightweight boxes. The dog didn't get hurt, but the dog was like six months and a few days old, um, and the dog became afraid of the walls. It thought all the walls were going to fall on it, so the dog would be in the very, very center of the room. And if it was a hallway or walking by a closet, the dog wouldn't go anywhere near that. Or if there were things like a built-in um, shelf unit that was built into the wall, the dog still wouldn't go. So dogs have pretty exceptional memories. The difference between the way a dog thinks and the way a human thinks, though, which is really critical, is a dog isn't pondering it. Dogs don't sit all day long and go, I wonder what's going to happen if I walk by the hallway again. They're in the moment where they're licking themselves or eating a, a dinner or a treat or rawhide or a bully stick or something like that. They're not saying, oh, my God, what happens when I have to go out at, you know, 2 p.m.? And am I going to have to pass by that same scary thing? Oh, no, I won't because mom's going to pick me up and carry me by the scary thing because that apparently makes it all better. So... You have to think about, from the dog's perspective, how is the dog going to interpret what you do? How is the dog going to interpret what you don't do? And how is he going to perceive himself in as much as in comparison to where he is? So if you are trying to get your dog past a difficult time, past a distraction, distractor, um, an excitement or mode of excitement, another dog, a child, a parade, a balloon, a mylar balloon, the shiny silver ones, which are even worse because it's the sun. The sun is, look how close it is. Oh, my God, get away from that balloon. That's scary. It's a little mini sun. It's going to burn you. I mean, we don't know exactly what, well, you don't know exactly what dogs are thinking, but I do. Dogs think very black and white. They either are in danger or they're not. They're the leader the parent or they're not, they're in charge or they're not, they own the company or they're not, own the owner of the company. So dogs are super easy if you are consistent. And this is where you get your local obedience trainer who says, you got to be consistent. The problem is that as soon as you remove the cookie from the situation or biscuit or whatever your treat is and you become a human Pez dispenser, your dog says, well, screw you, lady, I don't have to do anything. You don't have anything for me. You promised me a treat. You didn't give me a treat. So middle paw to you, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do because I don't need to be doing something unless I get something out of it. That's obedience. And that is why when I get a phone call and someone, and I mean, I had two people that, uh, already in February, this tells you how many I've got already, Two people who are both obedience trainers, professional obedience trainers who cannot fix issues in their own dogs and reached out to me. And thankfully, 
well, at least the one, she realized that, you know, that she needed the help. But the other one was a guy who is an obedience trainer. He's nice enough. I mean, I, I wouldn't send him a dog, but his wife actually made him call me. And uh, I explained to them the difference of why the dog doesn't respond to them with a treat or when they don't have a treat versus why their dog was basically hanging on every word of mine because I wasn't bribing the dog. I was teaching the dog. I was coming in to its home, the one that it owned because the obedience trainer and the two of them did not own that home. That dog did. The dog owned the home because that dog, when I walked in on both of the families, those dogs were the ones who came right up and one of them tried to hunt me. The other jumped on me and I looked at them and I said, I thought you're an obedience trainer. Well, yeah, I know. But like at the front door, they don't listen. Well, why don't they listen? Because you're an obedience trainer. Why would, why would the dog listen? You're not telling them to do something. And then one of them just kept telling the dog to sit. I'm like, you, Maybe six times I finally said, how many times do you have to say sit? Like, what's your command? Sit, 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 sit. Like, how many times do you have to say sit? And then I looked and I said, why are you making the dog sit? The dog clearly is not going to sit. And no, I'm not going to walk in and give the dog a treat and make it sit at the front door. That does not mean that obedience is bad or, you know, that's some kind of voodoo. But it does mean that behavior is very different than obedience. You are never going to fix a an actual, real, legit behavioral issue with a cookie. I don't care what you do. You may be able to distract the dog because that's what they say. They go, oh, you will fix it. We'll just distract them. And then the first time you don't have a cookie, the dog looks at you and goes, I'm not doing it. Middle paw to you. I'm not going to do it. You're not giving me anything. You want to teach the dog, not train the dog. So, when the dog is jumping and these people are telling the dog to sit and telling him he's good and giving him a cookie, but the dog is still in an excitable state of mind, the dog is still jumping off, you know, bouncing around and doing the exact same thing other than it sat in between if it even stayed sitting for more than a second. And the people are giving it a cookie. I'm like, why are you rewarding it? Well, because he sat. But I'm like, look, the dog is ready to jump out of its skin. Is that what you want to reward? Oh, yeah, but you, but he's not jumping. He's sitting. But he wants to jump. Why don't you just teach him not to jump? Why are you teaching him to sit? Who cares if he sits? He could be laying on the couch. He could be sitting on the other side of the room. He can be standing here sniffing me. He's just not allowed to jump. People, say what you mean and mean what you say. Please. Stop this whole ridiculous thing that everybody does where you all decide you're going to be, you know, for lack of a better word, you're going to be tacitly assenting to whatever the dog does because that's what you're doing. So change the way you're thinking. If the dog looks like it's going to come up and jump, then why are you giving it a cookie because it sat when it still wants to jump. That if it hasn't worked, like the lady yesterday was funny. She said, well, this is how we do it here. And I said, and I'm sitting in your kitchen right now, so apparently that's not working. I must have said that five or six times, and her husband kept laughing. She said, well, but he doesn't really, she doesn't really, the dog doesn't really 
clamp down like she wants to hurt you. And I said, I'm looking at the pictures you sent me that not only broke the skin, which to me isn't a big deal, but not only broke the skin, but it would broke the skin for about a four to five inch chunk. So this dog, she goes, oh, I pulled my arm back. But why is the dog biting you? Like, we're missing the whole point. Why is the dog's mouth open and its teeth are on your skin, whether you pull back, which you shouldn't, but whether it's reflex, you pull back or you don't, why are the dog's teeth on your skin? And she goes, oh. And I think she finally got it. Why is the dog doing what the dog is doing? The dog is doing that because you, as the owner, you as the trainer, you as whatever, are confusing the dog. Let the dog know what you want and what you don't want. That's all you have to do. But please, 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 please stop doing what you're doing. Stop bribing your dog and blaming your dog and getting mad at your dog, yelling at your dog, squirting your dog, zapping your dog. And yes, e-collars are shock collars. Don't care what you say. They're shock collars because the vibration at a higher rate is still a shock. I mean, listen, the electric chair was just a vibration. It was just a little too strong for humans to take, but it was a vibration. It's like electromagnetic fields, right? You say, well, but it's not electricity. Well, it kind of is because it's being caused by electricity because if you stop the magnet, the electromagnet, if you stop that, it's not magnetic anymore. So if you stop doing what you're doing, then you're not going to have the problem anymore. But yes, it is caused by you bribing your dog, confusing your dog, and not giving your dog social boundaries and set rules. Just set rules. Read my book, Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101, and It'll be the best $9.95, whatever you ever spend in your life. You can read it. You can be understanding a little more about what your dog is doing. And you can connect with your dog's personality more. But what is going to happen is the behavior is going to go away. Or it is going to be so little that you're not going to be upset anymore because of the behavior. But you got to start now. What are you guys waiting for? Stop waiting. Don't say, oh, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Do it now. Do it now. Read the book. You can download it. Get your dog on some good vitamins like the NuVet uh, Plus, 86686 for your 15% discount code. Start doing things that help your dog. And stop getting mad at your dog because you were not a clear teacher. Stop getting angry at your dog because if your dog and your house breaking a puppy and that puppy has an accident, it's your accident. If that dog is doing something, unless it's a recent rescue or, you know, just you're having a whop or fear phase or it's something that just popped up, you maybe didn't cause it, but you have the control. You have the power to fix it. So stop tacitly assenting to oh, he's only done that, or he only does that to so-and-so. He only jumps on grandma. He only does, because the more you give excuses, the more behaviors that are going to go unchecked and unfixed and unfettered, and the bigger problems you're going to have. And then you're going to wind up calling me or one of our people 
and we're going to have to come to your house and basically teach you and make you feel really, really stupid that you should have known better. And because everybody says that, oh my gosh, I wish I had known. That makes sense. Right. But you did know. You know, you've had the ruby slippers on the whole time. You've had the power to go home at any time you wanted to. Just click your ruby slippers together. The heels of your ruby slippers will set you free. Read my book. And we're going to take a break before we get to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. There's your lesson for the day. We'll be right back. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. We are going to be talking about few things today, maybe echoing a little bit in the behavioral versus obedience aspect and realm of getting your dog to do what you want it to do. What is the problem when you start training your dog or you take a rescue dog? Because I, I, I know I talk about training with behavioral work, but I think that it's also important. Like, what are the qualities? We did go through this a couple of weeks ago, but what are some of the good qualities we want? One of the things that we definitely need to do is make sure that we know kind of what we want that dog to do. So if you go into a shelter or you get a puppy, try to get an older puppy if you can. That's, you know, not eight weeks, but, you know, 12 to 14 weeks. They're a little more together. So if you're able to think about like, okay, well, I'm going to need a dog. Well, let's take a really silly, obvious one. Okay. Let's take the super obvious one. I need a dog to be a mobility dog. Okay, if you say, I need a dog to be a mobility dog, what qualities do you need in a mobility dog? Well, it's got to be big enough to either support you or to open doors or to open a washing machine or to do whatever it is that the dog needs to do. And that's what it's got to do. So if you then fall in love with a dachshund chihuahua mix, and you say, I want that dog to do this job. Well, guess what? The dog isn't going to be capable of doing that job. And why isn't it going to be capable? Because it's too small. But there's more than that. Temperament is everything. I have and have had racehorses, thoroughbred racehorses for many years. Now I don't because I got tired of them breaking my horses down. And even the top trainer in the country who I had a horse with, uh, phenomenal racehorse, um, she, she retired uh, from injuries. And that's not why I do what I do because of wanting a dog to have injuries. I do what I do because I want to make sure that that horse has everything and is going to, you know, be able to be my buddy forever. I've probably brought it into the world already. I'm sure I've also, um, you know, stayed with it when it was a baby and all that cool stuff. So I definitely want that horse to be okay. Well, when you're dealing with horses, a little more than, than is true with dogs because when people have a dog and the dog, you know, has puppies that you didn't want, it's not a problem because it's like, oh, you just sell them, right? You can just sell those puppies. When you have a horse, and people used to do this all the time, and I'm going to get to what the example is here. 
when you have a horse and you mess up and it's not a good quality or it's too small or it's got whatever issues it's got, then you start to realize that, oh, I, I got to change the way I'm thinking of things. So the first thing is that what you're, what you guys need to do is to look at it as, um, and I'm going to explain a little bit, when people would buy a horse or people get a dog, they fall in love with their eyes instead of with their brains, okay? My husband always used to say that. He's like, people fall in love with their eyes, but they shouldn't. They should fall in love not with your eyes and your heart. You should fall in love with your brain. Use your brain in order to figure out, first of all, is this potential boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever going to be okay? Is this particular horse or whatever going to be okay? And make yourself a list and check the boxes off. And if you don't check the boxes off, then that shouldn't be on the list. So with horses, if I could tell you how many people go out and buy 10, 20, 30,000, 40, $50,000 horse, $100,000 horse, they go, but look how pretty he is. Oh, he's beautiful, but you can't ride him because you're way over mounted on him. This horse is going to kill you. I wouldn't put my kid on that horse. You've got a 50,000 absolutely beautiful horse who's going to kill your child. Is that what you want? Well, no, but my child will, famous words, dun-dun-dun-dun, grow into it. Or my child will, dun-dun-dun-dun, learn how to deal with it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Same thing people do with dogs. Well, I've always wanted a Siberian Husky. And I want to go into the emergency room and the ICU with my Husky for therapy. Is that really a good idea? Even if you got the calmest, sweetest Husky in the world, are you going to bring a real hairy dog that's going to be, the hair going to be flying off into the hospital rooms all the time? Maybe you think about getting something that's a lower shedding dog. Maybe you think of getting something that's going to be more of a lap dog, right? People used to do this, and we would do something called team penning and uh, some Gymkhana things. So what we would do is we would go, and when we were in Pony Club, we would go and we would do all the cool things that our horses could do. But those of us who did best were not the ones that had the really expensive horses. Those of us who did well were the ones who, the few of us, who had to ride whatever we got because we didn't have our own horses. So you get very good when you have to, what I call, catch ride or catch handle something. What that means is think of a jockey, all right, on a racehorse. And this is where it all comes together. Think about the jockey on the racehorse. That jockey agrees to ride a horse. He doesn't know that horse most of the time. He has to catch ride that horse. He has to be able to, in moments, be able to interpret the, the movements, the emotions, whatever that animal's going to do, that's what he has to do. And he has to do it very quickly, and he has to do it without anybody really telling him any hints. Maybe the, the trainer will occasionally say something. But especially if it's his first time on the horse. So they're able to catch ride, and that's why you'll see most jockeys can get on any horse and you'll see one horse will do better and perform better with a jockey versus another one. Same thing with dogs, and especially with service dogs. You need to find that 
dog, that one that not only is doing everything, checking all the boxes on your list, but that you click with. The one that doesn't rear up in the stall with you, but is reared up in the stall or in the starting gate with the last six riders. So when you find that one person who can understand and get off that horse's mouth, let, don't lay a lot of weight on his back, keep yourself up a bit, all of a sudden the horse responds differently because our energy affects our dog's behavior the same way our energy affects a horse's behavior. Our energy affects our partners, our friends, our colleagues, our relatives, our siblings' energy and behavior. So let's talk exactly about what you should do. Make yourself a list. And when you're looking for a dog, make sure that that dog, not just that he can do something, make sure that his body and his mind, everything is able to do it. So if you're looking for a dog and you say, oh, look at this really tall, thin, you know, poodle mix. He's always so sweet, not the brightest ball, but he's sweet and he's, you know, looks like he's pretty well behaved. So I'm going to take him and I'm going to turn him into my mobility service dog and he's going to pick stuff up for me. Well, wait a minute. If he's going to pick stuff up for you or he's going to open doors, doesn't he have to A, use his nose and B, be tall enough and big enough to be able to facilitate those needs? Of course he does. So if he's tall and slim, even though he's tall, and you're 175 pounds, you cannot use a 50-pound dog for a 175-pound person. It's just not going to work. Can the dog make it work? Some dogs can. Some dogs are able to do that. But it's not going to be anything that's going to be permanent or lasting because the dog needs to have the body and mind to do so. Now, People ask me all the time, oh, can you train a dog to find medication or to, to give me my medication? Sure. But remember, the dog isn't going up into your medicine cabinet, reading the labels, taking only that one and bringing it back to you. It's normally because it's on a table. It's in a little bucket. It's in a little luncheon, um, like a, not thermos, like a little lunch bag. Or because it's somewhere and you tell the dog, go get it, the dog can go to the place, pick that up, and bring it to you. But the dog isn't going to be able to read. The other one is when people, and I just had somebody ask me this, um, I think on Friday, said, well, I'd like the dog to be able to, first of all, get me my medication, but I'd like for the dog, second of all, um, to be able to tell me when I need to take medicine. And I like stop all the time. I stop and I say, what do you want me to train the dog to do or teach the dog to do? And they say, well, like to know when it's time for me to take my medicine. So what time do you take your medicine? Well, I, I take my medicine at three in the afternoon. Okay. So you're going to set an alarm for three in the afternoon, right? Okay, if you're setting an alarm and I and you do not do a particular movement such as getting up, putting the pills in your mouth and swallowing them with water or otherwise, if you don't set a, an alarm, how is the dog going to know? You're a human and you don't know. So there are ways we can do things, but there are ways that 
we have to help the dog to understand what it is that we're looking for. And the dog cannot do certain things. It just can't. You can say it does. You can say my dog picks up artichokes off the ground, climbs the tallest palm tree, even though you're in New Jersey, climbs the tallest palm tree and drops them off to kill the uh, the bugs that are walking on the ground near me. I mean, you can come up with some pretty crazy stuff. That doesn't mean it does that. I Unfortunately, you're not allowed to ask the dog, well, fortunately and unfortunately, to perform the task. But there are certain things that I know for sure that a dog can't do. And even with seizures or different things that you might have that you say, I want a dog to alert to my seizures. Well, if you don't know the seizures are happening, and people around you don't know seizures are happening, why do you think the dog might be able to alert to a seizure? There has to be some chemical smell, some kind of aroma, or an electrical impulse for the dog to be able to do so and alert. So that's why most dogs are seizure response, whether the the bogus place tells you it's response or alert. A seizure alert or an alert is something that tells you before it happens. A response is something that happens after the fact. So if you have a seizure and your dog somehow predicted it 15 minutes prior, which some of our Merlin's Kids dogs can absolutely do that, but they're few and far between. There are not you know, thousands of dogs that can do that because it's very difficult because it depends on what your seizures are being caused by. If it's a focal seizure or an absent seizure, it's pretty darn impossible. But the dog can alert once you start, you know, kind of eliciting uh, a behavioral pattern or once you start, like one, one young lady would start humming just for whatever reason. So we couldn't train the dog to alert beforehand because nothing would happen. But when it would start kicking in, she would hum. So whatever the foundation was of it, whatever the ideology was, the humming, low humming would come before. So we would have the dog trained to alert to the humming sound, which was the body starting to have enough of the cortisol or chemicals or electrical signals that it would cause that behavior and that's what we would be able to train the dog to do. But you have to have a dog who's super attentive. That's one of the things people forget about. And a dog is not overly friendly. People will say like, oh, I'm just going to go to Golden or a lab or a doodle thing of some sort. But you get your lab or your Golden or your doodle thing of some sort, and it's friendly with everybody. You say, oh, that's great. You know, the dog's not dog reactive, not dog aggressive, not people reactive. I love people, goes up to people all the time, loves people. Whose service dog is this going to be? Is it going to be your service dog, your child's? Or is it going to be for the rest of the world, a therapy dog? So we want a dog who is friendly, but not one that is overzealous. And believe it or not, that is a really, really hard balance to find where you have a dog who is friendly enough to be kind of out there and safe, but who is not going to be so friendly that it ends up being um, kind of getting in trouble or, or being a problem because it wants to say hi to everyone. And I've had that happen a fair amount with people who get these F1 doodle things or have goldens or sometimes labs and the dog just wants to, hey, how, how are you? I was 
Can I be your friend? Will you be my friend? Because we don't want that. We want the dog to be focused on you or your child or your husband or your wife or whoever it is that the dog is supposed to be helping. A dog is not a service dog without its handler who has a disability. And that's where people don't understand if people say, is that a service dog? Well, that's my service dog. I mean, some of mine, like Wyatt and Savannah and and Wispa, they will actually alert on other people if I allow them to. But otherwise, I mean, Wyatt was the friendliest dog in the world. So was Savannah. But when they were in vests, people would come up, even pet them. They'd get right down in their faces. And the dog would just empty stare, wouldn't even look at them. And they'd say, oh, your dog's not really friendly. And I would always wind up saying something to the effect of, or the exact words of, well, I'm sorry, my dog is here to keep me safe, not to be petted by strangers. So thank you for not petting my dog, or my dog is working. Even though it doesn't look like that to you, my dog has to be focused on me. And and I like to explain it to people because people just don't know. And that's why if you have a dog who's ill-behaved, don't put a damn vest on it. Because people will think like, oh, service dogs aren't well-behaved. You should have seen this service dog I saw at the supermarket. It was terrible. It was taking the meat off the shelves. I mean, I've seen people who just claim it's a service dog. <laughs> like, I am not always nice. And I'll say, like, who trained your dog, your service dog for you? Oh, I trained it myself. Like, you should have had some professional help. And why? My dog is great. Okay, that's why your dog is trying to eat the stuff out of my shopping cart and it's jumping on me and you're letting, uh, uh, you have a choker chain, a prong collar, pinch collar on. No, I don't think your dog's a service dog. I I just get upset with people sometimes because, well, a lot of times. Because people just don't know and they don't listen and they don't care if somebody else has a problem because of them. They really don't. It's, It's unbelievable. And, like, I've got my Wispity Bunny dog right here, and she'll only get up when I get up. She's not going to get up until I get up because she knows that I'm her job. So if somebody comes up to her and pets her, she will ignore them. Why will she ignore them? Because it's not her job to worry about them. It's her job to worry about me. Like, it's my job to worry about her. So, you know... I think what we really, really need to focus on when we have service dogs or we have dogs that we're going to try to train to be service dogs is try your very, very best to find that dog that clicks with you and doesn't click with the rest of the world. It has to just click with you. The dog has to be able to care about you more than it cares about other people or other animals. And if the dog cares more about people and other animals than it cares about you, your problem is going to be that your dog isn't going to be your service dog. It's going to be everybody else's therapy dog. And you really don't want that to happen. You want to have, if you're going to put all that time and money and training in, you want to make sure that that dog only cares about you. So in summation, what we're going to just go over is Find the dog that checks all the items on your list. Make sure you're realistic about the dog and that the dog's possibilities and what it is allowed to do. Make sure that it's not reactive or that you are competent enough to train it to be not reactive. 
Um, and then obviously make sure that the size, the age, the hair coat, the bone structure, and everything is sufficient to do the job you want it to do. Sometimes a tall, skinny Great Dane who's hugely tall might be not the greatest choice where you might have like a lab hound mix who might be taller and stockier and that dog might be able to better distribute the weight or better complete the tasks. So, and then fall in love with your heart a little bit and with your eyes a little bit, but mostly fall in love when you say, I know this is the dog. And the reason I know that is he checks all the boxes on my list and I really like him and he hasn't stopped looking at me the whole time I'm in the shelter or rescue or breeder or whatever. Last thing is, if you're going to purchase a dog, check in the rescues and shelters first. There are rescues that specialize in these poodle mixes and these designer dogs because so many of them are not good. So you may be able to get yourself a free or very inexpensive one that's already housebroken that had too much energy for somebody who wasn't using the dog for anything and was just locking it in a crate 23 hours a day. But the goal is for you to find the right dog. Don't patronize and perpetuate backyard breeders breeding crap and puppy mills breeding crap and paying four, five, six thousand dollars even $2,000. $500 is the most you should spend for a mixed breed dog. If you're spending more than that, those people are just suckering you into it. It's not a breed. They are not breeders. They are just unscrupulous people, as nice as they may be, who are creating dogs or whatever animal in order to make money. They wouldn't be doing it if they weren't making money and a lot of money. So don't be stupid. And go to the shelters and call your rescues first. Once you do that, First of all, you'll save money, but second of all, you're saving a life and you're going to be tearing up the backyard breeders and puppy mills who used to make money off of the stupid people and you're not going to be one of those stupid people. You're going to save a life. Well, it is unfortunately time to go. I can't even believe it, but it is time to go and I wish everybody a happy, healthy weekend. Please be sensible, fill in your list of what you need, ask friends or relatives to help you with that list, stick to the list, find your new best friend, have a great weekend. God bless.